The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of our service today that today is the first Sunday in Lent. And if you grew up in the evangelical church, or uh, if you grew up outside the church altogether, you may not really know what Lent is. You may think it's a Catholic thing, so to speak. Uh, Actually, if you grew up Roman Catholic, you may think it's a Catholic thing. Um, But actually, it's a Christian thing, and I don't mean to distinguish between Catholic and Christian. I'm not one of those pastors. Um, I just mean that the practice of Lent predates the, the... Protestant Reformation, right? We are aware that there was church history that happened before Martin Luther attacked the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door, Um, and this is one of those things. In fact, this practice, the the celebration of Lent, in fact, predates the Great Schism in 1054, which is when the Eastern and Western Church split, and we then had Orthodox and what became Roman Catholic. So it's not only before the Protestant Reformation, but it's before the Great Schism. So the practice of Lent has been... uh, it's got a long history in the church. And it's simply a traditional period of observation leading up to the holiest day of the year, which is Easter Sunday. And traditionally, Lent uh, is a, a, a more somber period of reflection, and it traditionally is accompanied by some form of fasting. Uh, the, the way that that is practiced in much of the church is to fast from meat uh, during Lent. But in the more modern iterations of Lenten fasts, uh, people fast from all kinds of things, from beer, or from TV, or from Facebook, or Twitter. Anybody doing a Facebook fast during Lent, by any chance? <laughs> okay, nobody's that brave. <laughs> I have some friends uh, on Facebook, and the last time I saw them was Wednesday, because they said, I'm out of here until Easter. Um, that might not be a bad idea, but... I've got a Lenten fast for you already, so uh, uh, wait for that before you decide what to do. And actually, Lent started officially on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, which typically we have an Ash Wednesday service. We didn't do one this year. So during this year's Lent series, we're going to try something a little bit different. It's an experiment, if you will, and uh, if it goes horribly wrong, well, it's only six weeks. Um, And and then uh, we'll have another experiment after that, I'm sure. Uh, But what I'd like to do during the sermon time, during Lent, is have two-part sermons. One is to do a brief homily or sermon on the Scripture passages for the day, um, based on the lectionary passages. Now, somebody asked me the last time I said lectionary, I said, you've said lectionary a lot lately, and I don't know what that is. Can you tell me what that is? Uh, The lectionary is simply a collection of biblical texts arranged according to the Christian calendar over the course of three years, so that after three years, if you use the lectionary every week, you will have encountered all, not all, but most of Holy Scripture. And so I often recommend it to people who are looking for a devotional guide. Rather than going and buying some book, you can just go to the Revised Common Lectionary online, and it has four passages of Scripture each week. There's an Old Testament reading. There's a Psalm reading. 
there's an epistle reading, uh, one from the letters of the New Testament, and there's a gospel reading every week. And we use the lectionary at various times during the year, especially during times like Lent and Advent, which are the higher periods of the Christian calendar. And one of the things that is really cool about this is that there are churches literally all around the world today who are engaging with the same passages of Scripture that we'll be engaging with. And I think that's really neat. One of the things that gives us unity as a church, capital C, globally. Uh, So the first part of these sermons during Lent will be a short homily on the lectionary passages. And then the second thing that I'd like to do during the sermon time each week is to present a brief lesson about a classical spiritual discipline. Uh, Now let me explain what that means because some of you heard that D word and you're like, no thanks, where's the door? Um, I don't want you to think of discipline as punishment. We sometimes conflate those two ideas. Um, And there might be something to be said about the quality of American parenting because of that fact, but we'll see. Um, A a spiritual discipline is simply a a spiritual practice, something that gives your life structure. Annie Dillard talks about having a, a, a schedule that defends against whim. She's talking about it in the context of being a writer or an artist. But if you have a a schedule, it's like a scaffold, she says, for working on broad swaths of things at one time. I'm I'm doing this from memory and getting it completely wrong, but that's the idea. So if you have a schedule of spiritual practices in your life, you're more likely to be successful at connecting with God. And uh, sometimes it's helpful to have a new type of practice. And so my hope is that during this series, you'll be exposed to at least a couple of things that are brand new to you or that you haven't tried before. And... um, as a result, it really is my hope that the, the season of Lent will not just be a period of difficult challenge and hardship, although, to be honest, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either for some of us, to have a little challenge and hardship in our life, but also that it truly would be a period of renewal. And that's why I've called this series 40 Days of Renewal, because it's my hope that not only by being exposed to much more Scripture every week than, than we typically do, because we're going to have all four of these passages read in the service each week, um, but also by being exposed to some new spiritual practices or disciplines that, that this will be a way that you can find some renewal. So, um, On to the readings then from today's lectionary uh, assignments. We've already heard Psalm 32. It's the psalm that I read prior to our confessional prayer. And uh, so let me invite Janice up. And uh, you could use this microphone right here, and she's going to read Genesis uh, uh, 2, 15 through 17, and then 3, 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it of eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than, than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But 
the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Thank you. And uh, now George will come up and read a passage from Romans. Thank you. Thank you to both of our readers, and we will be needing other readers uh, during this series, so if you would like to read uh, during our series uh, of Lent, just contact me. Um, we'll schedule you, and I can get you the readings ahead of time if you're more comfortable looking at them ahead of time as well. So there's all kinds of heady theology in those two passages, um, and we could so we could spend hours talking about those, maybe especially that second one. But, I mean, even the first one, which is probably a little easier to understand, we could talk a lot about uh, Genesis 2 and 3 and what the nature of the fall is and what sin means and what original sin is and what the church has taught about that. And we could talk about all kinds of interesting things like whether this, is a, you know, whether this was a literal event or whether it's an allegory. We could talk about... Um, how it's all the different interesting things about how the serpent tempted Eve 
uh, and the way he twisted God's words, and we could talk about the fact that her husband was apparently standing there the whole time, just waiting and watching and not doing anything to help until it was time to eat the fruit. We could talk about all kinds of things in Genesis 3. Um, And Romans 5, you don't have to be ashamed to raise your hand, but how many people were hearing those words going, what is he talking about? That is the most repetitive argument I've ever heard, and I still don't understand it. (laughs) Um, That's kind of how I feel sometimes when I read the book of Romans. There would be plenty we could talk about there about Paul's assertion that Jesus is the new Adam and what that means, and if sin entered the world through one person and spread to everybody, then does the redemption through Jesus spread to everybody? There's plenty we could talk. We've got big arguments about that. Um, And those are actually important concepts, but unfortunately for the purposes of this series and the way we're structuring the sermons, I just don't have time to to give you three sermons (laughs) um, in one day. I just don't have time to go down all those different roads. And so what I'd like to do today is read to you the gospel passage, which is from Matthew chapter 4, and um, make a couple of observations about that. Uh, Now, it's traditional in churches that observe the lectionary to stand for the reading of the gospel. So could I ask you to stand together, please? This is Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. May God bless the hearing of his word. Please be seated. In this passage, too, there's a lot that we could talk about about the nature of temptation, uh, about when it tends to happen, about how the devil worked. And as soon as Jesus quoted Scripture to respond to him, he quoted Scripture back to Jesus and tried to twist it. Um, But I want to make one small observation about this passage. Without a whole lot of explanation, I think it will it'll be something that, it, that will inspire you to, to uh, have your own application um, pretty easily. And this is the observation. Usually when we are in crisis or experiencing some kind of difficulty or challenge, we want a miracle. We want an instant, easy fix. 
don't we? Wouldn't that be nice? And I mean, after all, we are spiritual, faithful people, and we believe that that kind of thing is a possibility. And so that's what we tend to pray for and ask for when we're in difficulty. God, I don't care how, just please take this away. And I don't, I don't think that makes us bad Christians to pray that. I don't think it makes us bad people to pray that. But I think often the solution to a spiritual problem involves an act of our own will. Jesus himself demonstrated this in today's gospel passage. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, what, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that I don't believe in miracles, because I do. And I don't want you to hear me saying that I don't believe God will step in and, and make a difference in your life, because I believe that he will. And I certainly don't want you to hear me saying that God doesn't care and that he's the blind watchmaker God and everything is really left up to us just to do the best we can with whatever we've got. Because I don't think that's true. But I do think it's true that we are required to get the ball rolling sometimes. Maybe most of the time. If you've been around for a while or if you've talked to me in person about this kind of thing, you, you may have heard me talk about um, a metaphor that I like to use to describe how, how we can find God's will in our life or find his direction in our life. And I, I talk about it this way. When I was learning to drive, uh, which was years and years ago, um, we had these cars that didn't have power steering. Now every car has power steering. But some cars didn't have power steering, and you old fogies will remember this even better than me because you probably had more years without power steering than years with. Um, I'm pretty young, so I, I've gotten used to it. But um, <laughs> what happens with power steering, and, and uh, you, you gray hairs can confirm that this is true for the, for the young'uns here. Um, you, you try to turn the wheel, and it won't turn. Nowadays, you get power steering, you just go, and it goes, right? But without power steering, the wheel will not turn until you do what? Start going forward. And as soon as you start going forward, that wheel just turns like butter. It's really not a problem. And I think that God's leadership works that way sometimes. We sit there in our parking spot, spiritually speaking, saying, God, I just seek your direction, Lord. I just want to go wherever you want me to go. Show me the way. And we sit there and we wait. <laughs> and we're like, I can't even turn the wheel. Nothing's happening. And God's like, just put the car in drive. <laughs> I'll put it in neutral and I'll push it a little bit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's not until we're moving forward just ever so slightly that we feel that gentle nudge in one direction or the other. If you're going to sit on your butt and wait for God to drag you around. That's just not how God works. So let me ap apply this principle to, to what uh, Jesus experienced in the wilderness. And I want to give you three quotations from early church fathers um, that talk about this. 
the first one is from Gregory the Great, um, also known as Pope Gregory. Um, he happened to be a pope, but this was in the 6th century and early 7th century. So again, it's before we had the difference between Catholic and Protestant. So if you're worked up about that, you don't have to worry because this guy wasn't, he wasn't a, a papist, even though he was a pope. <laughs> Uh, how about I just read to you what he said? <laughs> he said, When the Lord was tempted by the devil, he answered him with the commands of sacred scripture. By the word, now think of this as capital W, that he was, remember John 1, Jesus, was, Jesus is the word incarnate. By the word that he was, he could have easily plunged his tempter into the abyss. But he did not reveal the power of his might but he only brought forth the precepts of Scripture. This was to give us an example of his, pace, his patience, so that as often as we suffer something from vicious person, persons, we should be aroused to teach rather than to exact revenge. It's really interesting. That second part goes to our motivation for things, uh, and that's not really where I'm going today, but the simple truth is that St. Gregory is right. Jesus, being God incarnate, could have plunged the devil into the abyss that second, and the temptation would have been gone. But he didn't do that. Instead, he drew on his knowledge of Scripture and applied it to his situation, which requires a couple of things. One is a knowledge of Scripture. And you can say, well, he's Jesus. He was cheating. (laughs) But... Uh, why don't you cheat and memorize some scripture? How would that be? The second uh, quotation I want to read to you is from uh, the, the greatest preacher in the history of the early church, is St. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom means golden mouth. He was the golden mouth preacher. He's talking about the same situation, Matthew 4. What does Christ then do? He is neither indignant nor provoked. But with that extreme gentleness, he reasons with him again from the Scripture, saying, You shall not tempt the Lord your God, teaching us that that, that we must overcome the devil not by miracles, but by forbearance and long suffering, and that we should do nothing at all for display and vainglory. Now, that's problematic because we don't want long suffering. We don't like forbearance. We would rather have miracles. And we love doing things for display and vainglory problematic. But again, what a wonderful set of turns of phrase there that Chrysostom uses to describe Jesus' response to this temptation. Forbearance and long-suffering, I'm sorry to tell you, are the way it generally works. And one last one, a very short one from uh, Theodora of Heraclea, who says simply, the first Adam sinned by eating. Christ prevailed through self-control. Again, you could say he's cheating, he's Jesus, but what do we believe about Jesus? Not only that he's fully God, but also that he's fully human. And so it required the same level of self-control on his part that it would for us to fast for 40 days. And you may think that that's physically impossible, but I actually know some people personally who've done 40-day fasts. You have to drink water, of course, but can go 40 days without food. I don't recommend it necessarily, especially if you've never tried that kind of thing before. 
but Christ prevailed through self-control. There's a really interesting concept. Those are pretty significant statements about the way that Jesus dealt with his temptation, aren't they? And the most interesting part of it, to me at least, is that this was in response to a very obvious and clear spiritual attack. It wasn't just a physical thing. He was dealing with physical challenges, too, from the results of his fast. But this was Satan tempting him directly. A little subtly at first, and then at the end, he just lets it all out and says, you bow down before me and we'll be good. Um, But Jesus' response was not particularly spiritual, uh, especially given his station and what he could have done. And so I said earlier that that sometimes the solution to a major challenge in our life is an act of our own will. Um, And at least these three church fathers seem to be saying the same thing. And so what I'd like to ask you to do now is spend a moment in introspection, looking at your own life. Think about a challenge that you're facing, uh, spiritual or otherwise, and ask yourself, have I been waiting on a miracle to fix this for me? okay to wait on miracles, as long as that's not all you're doing. And then this is the question that you need to ask yourself and hopefully answer for yourself. What specific act of will could I engage in that might put my car in drive, that might get me rolling down the hill just enough to allow God's guidance and grace and direction to come into my life in a way that I may have been blocking it so far by my stubbornness. So what specific act of will might you be able to do? And I'm going to give you about a minute and a half of silence to think about that and to capture it in whatever way is appropriate for you, which needs to be more than just saying, oh yeah, I'll do that later. Will you write something down or make a note on your phone or on your hand or Capture it somehow, won't you? Take a minute and think about that. probably be starting to write something down now or whatever you're going to do to remember it. I think it's fitting that today we're talking about acts of will Uh, because it makes a perfect introduction for the second half of the sermon, which will be less than half, don't worry, um, which is the one about the spiritual discipline, because today's spiritual discipline, the first of this Lenten series, is fasting. And fasting definitely requires an act of will. And depending on the duration of your fast, it might take many, many repeated acts of will. (laughs) 
Let me tell you a little bit about fasting, because many of you have never done anything like fasting before. It is, after all, the most un-American of all the spiritual disciplines. And yet the fact is that fasting is practiced by basically all the world's religions, and it has a particularly long and rich tradition in our roots, which is the Judeo-Christian religions. And uh, you can find fasting all throughout the Bible, most importantly, perhaps, in the teaching and practice of Jesus himself. Uh, We just read a passage where Jesus practiced the discipline of fasting. And when I say practice, I don't mean like um, practice to get good at something, although if we thought of getting good at things and that kind of practice the same way we think about spiritual practices, we might get better at more things. Um, but that's a separate, uh, separate issue. Um, I just mean when you do something. Praxis is the root there. It's probably Latin. Uh, it just means doing something. So Jesus practiced fasting, but he also taught about fasting. And, and when he taught about fasting, this is what he said. If you decide to do a fast sometime, not that you have to, but if you ever want to, let me give you some pointers. No, that's not actually what Jesus said at all. He said, when you fast, whenever you fast, do this. Uh, That doesn't quite mean that Jesus is saying you must fast, but he's certainly assuming that you're going to, which is worth thinking about. In that particular teaching, he warned against making fasting a public display. So there's this tension between, yes, you should be doing it, and no, you should not be doing it just to impress people. He says, whenever you fast, do not look dismal. Like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Oh, I wish I could have the coffee right now. Fasting. (laughs) It feels really good. Wow, you're not drinking coffee for how long? I know, it's really hard. I'm such a spiritual person, though. That would be you acting like a Pharisee. So Jesus clearly engages with the the concept of fasting, and so we probably ought to do so as well. I have one significant spiritual observation about fasting, and then I'm going to give you a couple of quick practical pointers and a specific application of how you can do this. The spiritual observation is this, and it comes straight from uh, Richard Foster, who wrote probably the seminal work in the 20th century on, on modern practice of ancient spiritual disciplines, something called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He said this about fasting. He said that more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Now, if you've ever practiced fasting, if you've ever tried it, you know that this is absolutely true. That fasting will reveal very quickly what things are in your life that have control over you. And often, it should be noted, it's not the food or whatever you're giving up. You see, the the acute pain that you feel in your belly or in your soul or whatever it is that whatever part of your body is affected by whatever you're fasting from, whenever you feel that twinge, your first response is to say, I need to eat something. And then you go, oh, wait, let's say, let's say it's food. Oh, wait, I can't eat anything. I'm fasting right now. What am I going to do now instead? That's the thing that controls you. Whatever it is, video games, sex, Yelling at somebody, going for a run maybe, sometimes very good things that just have this uncanny control over your life. More than any other discipline, fasting is going to show you what those things are 
It might be food for you if you're fasting from food. It might be Facebook for you if you're fasting from Facebook. But don't assume that it is. It might be your plan B. And so look for your plan Bs if you're fasting during Lent because those are the things you've got to watch out for. Thomas Akempis, who's uh, significantly older than Richard Foster, um, said something similar. He said, arm yourself manually, again, physically, by, by an act of your will and body, against the wickedness of the devil. Control the appetite, and you will more easily control all bodily desires. So there is some power in this that goes beyond just food. So that's the spiritual side of things. Let me give you some practical advice on fasting because a lot of times people think, I've never fasted before. Uh, I'm going to fast for a day. And then they think, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. And they wake up in the morning and they don't eat breakfast and they don't eat lunch and they don't eat dinner. And then they go to bed and they wake up the next morning and it's breakfast and suddenly they've fasted for how long? 24 hours? No, 36 hours. Because they didn't, they actually started with dinner or whatever junky snack food they had right before they went to bed. So if you're going to practice fasting, start smaller, first thing, and and maybe just give up a meal. That's one way to do it. But really, most of us in America, and some of us have medical issues that affect us more than others, but most of us um, in America have have enough uh, stores laid up to get us through more than just one meal. So you might might dig a little bit deeper. Um, But start, I would recommend starting with 24 hours, which means that you have to... have to have breakfast if you're going to do an all-day fast. You start with breakfast, that's your last meal, and then you wait until breakfast the next day, and that gives you a 24-hour fast, which is a pretty, most people could probably start with that. Um, But it doesn't have to be uh, an absolute food fast. You can restrict your diet. I mentioned earlier a tradition that involves not eating meat during Lent. That's one way to fast. You just fast from particular types of food. Sometimes people fast from snack food or Uh, whatever type of food is the most tempting or appealing to them. That way they're they're not hungry, but they're giving up something that isn't good for them. Uh, So you might try that. Um, And again, as we've already mentioned, you can can fast from things that are not related to food or water, um, and that can be very effective too and and will, uh, I think, have a similar spiritual effect. But but don't sleep on the idea that Thomas Akempis said, Sometimes the appetite, the hunger appetite, is tied directly to lots of other appetites. And so it's, if, you're, if you're not sure what fasting is, I would just recommend starting with a 24-hour food fast um, if you just want to try it once. That being said, we do have a, a very specific, practical type of fast that uh, we're going to encourage everybody participate, to participate in during the season of Lent. Now, as you've no, because I told you a few minutes ago, Lent is, we're already a few days into Lent. But let me say this, and this is another generalized teaching about this kind of thing. Don't let that be an excuse. Oh, shoot, I missed it. Well, next year. <laughs> don't do that in your spiritual life, and don't do that with the rest of your life. Don't be lazy and make excuses. All right. Um, it's okay to start today. It's okay to start tomorrow. If you're listening to this on the podcast and it's Friday, guess what? It's okay to start on Friday. It's okay to start whenever you want to start. Better to start and do it for 27 days than to not try it at all. Okay, so wherever and whenever you are listening to this, 
um, start today or tomorrow, okay? And we'll, uh, we'll make this happen. So some of you remember the Advent Conspiracy, which we did a couple of years ago, where we had a very simple, clear way to come up with some money to donate to clean water charities. We simply said during the season of Advent a few years ago, buy one less Christmas gift this year and give that money to a clean water charity. And we started a wonderful connection with the Ugandan Water Project, which you heard, if you were here last week, Liz talk about the, the latest developments in that connection. And that was a really easy thing to understand, and we all did it, well, a lot of us did, and we raised over $6,000 and built two rainwater collection tanks in Uganda. It was a wonderful thing. So I have a very simple um, type of fast that some of you heard me talk about last week and already, tr- already started, which is great. It's called 40 Days of Water. And 40 Days of Water is very simply this. During the season of Lent, you don't drink anything other than tap water. Tap water will get your body through the season of Lent, I promise. And you take the money that you would have spent on, um, let's say, uh, coffee, which I have some here. All right, these are visual aids. Or um, juice. Some people drink juice. And then some people drink uh, beer. Not, I don't recommend this particular kind. It's pretty gross. But um, Some of you drink things even further down on this spectrum. Um, and all we're going to do is going to take the $2 that we would have spent on coffee or the $1.89 that we would have spent on juice or the, uh, this is probably worth $1.89 too, but let's say it's something good, the four fifty that you would have spent at the tap and mallet, 5 6 $7, and you're going to say no to that. And you're going to put that money in a coffee can or whatever you have at home, and then every week we're going to bring that money to church to worship, and we're going to collect it. Now, some, do we have a home brewer in the room who might be able to provide us with a, an old carboy or something like that? Yeah, okay. So it can, uh, this is big. We've got a lot of people here, lots of people who drink a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> so we want a big carboy. And every week we're going to put the money in there, we're going to watch it pile up, and then at the end of the time we're going to go, oh, man, I need a coffee, and then we're going to give all that money to the Gun and Water Project and... <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have enough to build an entire collection tank, but you never know. It depends on what you drink, I guess. Um, So really simple, right? Not easy, but simple. Very easy to understand, at least. Now let let me temper this a little bit. There are ways you can vary this. You don't have to do the whole thing. Just like it would be better to start 27 days in than to not start at all, it would be better to do this partially than to not do it at all. Wouldn't it? This is where we nod our heads and say, yes, Scott, that would be great. (laughs) If you think that you would die without your morning coffee, well, A, that's that's kind of a problem. Okay, let's not make light of addiction, even if it's just a coffee. You may want to just see how many days that headache lasts if you've never really tried before. But let's say that you want to be a little gentler to yourself. That's okay. If you've never fasted before, especially, it's wise to start with something that's manageable. Better to do something that you can succeed at than to set a lofty goal and feel like a failure. So find something. But the, the trick is you can't just figure it out on the fly. You have to set the rules ahead of time. I ran into this this past week. I was traveling on Wednesday. I hadn't really thought it through, and suddenly it was Wednesday, 
and I'm on a plane to Houston, and if you're going to go to Houston, you got you need a drink, <laughs> I promise, um, because it's so dry there. <laughs> so I didn't set the rule for myself, and I screwed it up, and so uh, this is actually my coffee mug from this morning, because I said I'll just start on Sunday. Um, so set the rule ahead of time, please. Whatever it's going to be, if you're going to say, okay, just no coffee, I'm just giving up coffee. If you're saying, I'm not giving up coffee, but I'm giving up everything else. Or if you're saying, I'm not giving up anything but beer or whatever it is, find something, write it down, tell someone about it, and talk to each other throughout the season of Lent. Anything you do is going to be meaningful to you spiritually, and it's going to raise some money for clean water in Uganda. Um, And so I would not encourage you to just say, ah, I can't really do that. I'm not going to try. Do something. A lot of life's problems can be solved by just obeying that motto. Do something. Um, so that's 40 days of water. It's a pretty big challenge. Pretty big challenge. But I'm really excited about uh, not only the result of what will happen at the end of it, but also the great things that um, will happen in all of your lives as you take this step into something that's out of your comfort zone and that will definitely affect your life. Um, so you're going to bring a carboy for us, right? Thank you. And you may want to like set up a little coffee can at home. If you have kids, you can have them make a label for you. And, and I encourage you to involve your kids with this stuff too, and, and uh, they will get into it, and then they will, they'll hold you accountable. <laughs> Believe me, my son does that for me. I don't tell him anything I'm doing. He's just <laughs> Let's pray. I have this beautiful prayer from an anonymous source in uh, church history. Shed your light on us, O Lord, that being rid of the darkness of our hearts, we may come into the true light, which is Christ, the light of the world, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. As we continue to worship in song, our communion table is open, and uh, I invite you to come and partake of the bread and of the cup as an act of remembrance of Christ's broken body and his shed blood, and as a source of food for your souls, and as an act of unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the room and all around the world where people are celebrating communion together on the Lord's Day today. So take a minute of quiet reflection and meditation. Write down anything that you may need to write down from today. Uh, And then as the band uh, begins to play, the communion table is open for the rest of our time together. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.